Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to the Walker Rockwell podcast in association with the Sunland Community Soup Kitchen where we build up to our long trip to the south coast to take on Portsmouth this weekend. So to help us along and to bring us up to speed with all the latest at Pompey, uh, we're very pleased to have the company of Freddie Webb from the local paper The News as well as PO Forecast covering all things Portsmouth. Hello Freddie. How's it going Chris? Pleasure to be on. Yeah, not bad. How are you keeping? Yeah, yeah, I've been keeping okay. I recently got, I've got the job at the local paper. Um, not covering sport, I'm mainly covering like news stuff. But yeah, I started two weeks ago. Moved, uh, I lived up north, moved all the way down back to Pompey, and it's been a really good experience so far. Couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, you stu- studied in Sheffield, I saw. Did, is that right? That's where I just started the journalism journey. You know. Yeah, that, that's where I'm based. So we might have to have a bit of a bit of a chinwag afterwards and uh, and all things. <laughs> a bit uh, of a reminisce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, but yeah, I, I mean, will you be looking at some point to get into covering the the football team and? Uh, well, that would be nice. We'll see. Uh, I've only just started this. Uh, I've only just started this job, so I'm not, not thinking right. too far ahead right now. <laughs> so I, I'm touting you for a job that might not <laughs> might not be there or somebody else's. <laughs> Bit early, I think. I mean, first of all, just as we're getting into it, I want to make a confession uh, from the off. Due to commitments, kind of later in the week and and when we're recording this, we are speaking before the fixtures on Tuesday night. So just in case anything happens. You know, based on what we're talking about, at least people know that we're not completely disregarding what happens on Tuesday night. But um, Sunderland are at home to, to Cheltenham, of course. So I'm hoping that I'm basking in the knowledge that we've had a routine home win by the time this goes out. Uh, and for Pompey Freddy, it's a, it's a trip to, to Burton Albion. Um, looking at the league table, it's got a feeling of a big one to sort that mid-table area out a bit. I mean, w- would a draw do in that one? <laughs> Burn away is always a tough game. It's always a difficult game, especially mm. since Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank came back in, who, who he really solidified that side. So that, and, and they caused Ports of a fair bit of difficulties last time by sitting very deep and basically hit, hitting teams on the counter attack, which but which ha, which has been Ports' newest problem, I think, mm. because Ports are very possession based and very pressing based off the ball, and. A lot of the uh, goals that Pompey conceded so far have been counter attacks um, and individual errors mainly. So yeah, it would be a hard game, but I think it's one that Ports will simply have to go and try and get three points from because well, Pompey haven't won a game in all comps in over a month. Yeah. <laughs> they, they haven't won since um, the game, the, the one that won against Shrewsbury a while back. So it's yeah. it's been a period of transition at the moment. And I think you'll hear me saying that a lot over the next 
45 minutes or so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into that. But uh, but yeah, I thought it would just be interesting to, to get your take on that because if people are listening later on in the week, they can check back at the score and uh, and, and see how they did because, um, yeah, Burton's uh, Sunderland's only defeat of the season. So it is a it is a tough place to go. And actually, when I was looking at it, I mean, we'll come back into it, but, um, you know, eight teams on 12 points and um, neither of the two sides have won in the last five. So it should be a... It should be a bit of a kind of a tight game in the in the kind of in mid table to try and sort that lot out, but uh, but very quickly, um, I mean we covered a you know a little bit on you already, Freddie, but just very quickly, um, we said you've started that job at the local paper, um, uh, but you do the podcast, um, you know on Portsmouth Football Club. I mean, have you followed Portsmouth for as long as you can remember? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it was my dad who first got me into it. My first memory of Portsmouth was um. Watching them on TV, watching the South Coast derby, um, the the 4-1 win at Fratton Park with Lumana Lua Lua scoring <laughs> two and doing somersaults. So ever since I saw that and saw my dad jumping up and down the living room, I was hooked ever since. And that was about 2005 now. Hmm. So yeah, following the team ever since. And moving down has been an experience because I've lived up north pretty much the majority of my life with my some of, some of my relatives down south. So I see I see ports every now and again, but living here permanently is definitely put a different spin on things so that you started in the glory days and the, the fa cup win wasn't long after and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> the only fa cup final i saw was the the one we lost against chelsea yeah. against that double winning side um, and chelsea managed couldn't get a ticket for the for the 08 final unfortunately yeah well we'll, we'll come back to to this season um in a bit but uh, i want to kind of just look over the last few years just because it's interesting from a from a Sunderland point of view, because we're kind of maybe just starting off on that journey. Um, it was 2017 when uh, former Disney chief executive Michael Eisner took over the club. So you're just over four years into that ownership. Um, so how has that relationship been over that time? And are they still pretty popular with, with how they've done things? Um, overall, I would say it's been quite mixed. Uh, it was the sort of situation where obviously so many people had such an emotional, strong connection with the Pompey Sports Trust who owned the club for the four years in League Two went through went through hell and back the club were 30 minutes away from going bust and literally the fans trust brought them out of that and that the promise was not selling the club to an owner who would abuse it um, and Michael Eisner hasn't mm. there have been some mistakes I think but I think overall his ownership has been a benefit to Portsmouth Football Club Mainly because the Fratton Park um, redevelopments have needed a lot needed a lot of money. Obviously, since it's an old stadium, mainly for health and safety reasons, there's needed to be some works around the ground. Obviously, still a bit of debate and conjecture whether those works are being done properly, if enough money is being spent, mm -hmm. that type of thing. So, it, for for, for um, the time in League One, it's been a, it's been a grey area. I think in terms of um, investment in the playing squad. I think most of the time it's been good. Um, how it helps that when P uh, Pompey sold Matt Clark and Jamal Lowe two seasons ago for multiple millions of pounds, um, most of that money was reinvested. Um, I think wages rise. Ports were still in top third in the league, I believe. Mm -hmm. so, so, so it's still up there to a certain extent. But it's again more conjecture about if they're spending enough money. And it doesn't help when, for example, this summer under a new manager. Pompey lost out on a lot of transfer targets, either to let's say Ipswich, who we know are spending a boatload of money. Um, the Jaden Stockley stuff, where Jaden Stockley was um, 
talking to Portsmouth sort of up and down, but then he but then he moved to Charlton on five and a half to six K a week, which Pompey didn't want to go to, which in my opinion they shouldn't have. Mm. And also um certain Pompey players leaving for more money than Portsmouth were willing to pay them and more years on their contract. So there is there's that perception, there's that slight perception there, in my opinion. But overall, I think the ownership has been been more of a benefit to Portsmouth rather than a negative. You'll you'll hear a lot of differing opinions, I'm sure. But I think the one thing that I'm not main thing I'm not happy about their ownership long term has been the academy. Not enough investment has been put into that, in my opinion. Um, last season, pretty much all of Pompey's youngsters were released because there's no under twenty three side. So it's either eighteen. They have to be good enough for the first team or to be in and around the first team, otherwise they don't get a chance. Yeah. They either have to get a loan move away, guaranteed pretty much, or they go. So that's one of the areas of conjecture. And some of the infrastructure stuff around Fratton Park already has been slightly frustrating with ticketing and so on. That's uh, uh, You expect the owner of Disney to, <laughs> and the people working around him, to get that side of, side of things done properly. Mm. But even with all that in mind, even with all the debates surrounding it, I still think overall it's been a, more of a benefit to the football club rather than um, a deficit, in my opinion. Yeah, like, like I said, it's, it's interesting from a Sunderland point of view because we're very kind of, you know, right at the beginning of a... Very uh, aware of strange owners. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we've just fairly recently been taken over, so it's, it's quite interesting. But uh, the, the actually, I wanted to mention the incident from the summer with um, the academy players. Um, obviously, they, they ended up being released after an inquiry into messages in a private uh, chat group after England's defeat in the, the final of the Euros. I, I mean, from, from the outside point of view, because uh, I've only just seen what the findings were and what they did. But uh, I mean, I imagine that the fans of the local media were fully supportive in the measures that the club uh, decided on in terms of their disciplinary process. Was that the case? Oh, oh, absolutely! Yeah, that was a um, a different year group that I mentioned to previously. Mm. So I think that they were under fifteen, under sixteen, sorts of range. It was a while back since I read up on the story, but yeah, for those who don't know, basically a, um, a snap Snapchat group chat got released, uh, got leaked, and containing very vicious uh, jokes in quotation marks, uh, all of them racist, monkey chants, monkey emojis. The N word being used around as if you're saying hello. It was it was disgusting to be honest and yeah pretty much I, I don't blame the football club for what they did they basically said look we're going to look into it and that that's going to be it until we've made a decision and yeah that's the process you have to go through and I don't blame the, yeah. the club for releasing those players at all um, even, even at that age even at 16 you are old enough not to use the, not not to use that sort of language because there, there was no debate whether it was humour or not it was blatant yeah. racism so there was no, there's no room to, for debate there. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It was, it was good to see a club taking that sort of action because sometimes you know the, you've got that, you know, where clubs have seen people as assets in the past and not really dealt with it in the way they should. So it was good to see a club taking decisive action like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, let, let I mean, go back to the to, to kind of the football side of things. Um, I mean, they came in in 2017. Um, uh, when you were promoted back to League One under Paul Cook. Uh, since then, uh, Portsmouth have finished 8th, 4th, 5th and 8th, uh, beaten in, in the playoffs twice. I feel looking at that, when I was reading it earlier, I feel like it's really similar to, to what Sunderland State League 1 has been like. Um, although you've had an extra year, obviously. But, um, I mean, from Portsmouth's point of view, is it just a matter of time that they, they end up getting out of League 1? Or do you think it's a case of the longer you're here, the harder it is to get out? 
I think the latter is probably is probably the case. I think the difference with Sunderland as well, especially the difference between the two clubs. Obviously, going from League Two to League One, the first season under Kenny Jacket was more of a transitional season for me, in my opinion, where we were in and around the playoffs, and if we got into them, great. But I thought for that first season, it was about just establishing yourself as a League One club and going from there, and that was fine. But from then on, considering that the talents that some of those Portsmouth sides had, Matt Clark, Jamal Lowe, Brigginning, John Harkis, Marquis, who we'll probably mention more later on mm. in a minute, but mm. at, at the time that was that seemed like a strong signing. We, we, with all that talent in mind, not to get promoted in those seasons was very frustrating. Mm. And most of the, um, the vitriol against the manager um, came from the for, from the uh, playoff semi-final defeat against Sunderland. I remember um, I used to be a poker dealer dealing poker uh, in, a, in a Genting Casino in Newcastle, watching the first, uh, both legs while I was working. <laughs> and, oh, God. But uh, Ports of, it, it was their approach to the game, very direct, too direct, in my opinion, for the players we had. That was the big thing that got on the backs of fans. It was the tactical system that didn't really link with some of the players that were being brought in. Like, for example, having, let's say, if it's a front three of Marquis, Curtis on the left and Marcus Harness on the right. They're all very te- they're, they're all more technical based footballers, but still um, hitting long balls to them down the channel. Phil Parkinson-esque long balls, if you, if you need a comparison. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we know exactly what you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, just, it just didn't fit. And many people thought that was the season where the support for the manager ended. Mm. Um, well, some for some people. Then it carried on since the third season. Um, that was the season where Portsmouth lost in the playoff semis to Oxford. Obviously, COVID getting in the way, but that. Uh, but looking at those playoffs, that was the season where Portsmouth needs to get promoted with that side, in my opinion. The playoffs that season compared to the year before, where the Blues lost to Sunderland, it was much weaker. Not not just because of the COVID shortened season, but also just on paper with the teams that we were playing. Um, there was a game that season that lost so many Pompey fans' belief in the manager. It was mainly centred around the manager at that time. That would change later on in some later conversations. But it was um, a game against Coventry where uh, we were free, free one up against against nine men at Fratton Park. <laughs> uh, K-Jacket brings on Christian Burgess, centre-half for an attacker. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. Ended up as a free all draw, didn't it? <laughs> so after that... Obviously, the the narrative of it being negative, very safe, that added on top, and especially with some of the attacking, attacking players we had, not producing as much as some people thought they would do. For many people, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, but then losing to Oxford again in the playoffs semi-final where Pompey didn't play well in both games, and our captain was benched for that game, Tom Naylor, who's not there anymore. That was a big thing. And then the season, and then Kenny Jacket's fourth season, which I won't ramble on about it. Um, there was a change in tactics in, in around November, December time, which worked really well. But then from about February, it was a lot, it was a free one lost against Bristol Rovers. The wheels fell off mm. completely. The wheels fell off. And if, if anybody watched the EFL trophy final, last year's final, when Pompey were playing against Salford at Wembley, that was incredibly embarrassing. I don't think I've ever seen a Portsmouth side play as badly on a major stage as that. And that basically that game was the last thing that, um, that was the last Kenny Jacket game anyway. He was sat shortly afterwards. Mm. 
And it was the idea that the board gave him the full backing when the fans didn't agree with it. And that also adds to the debate whether the uh, the border have the best wishes of Portsmouth in mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I was going to mention Kenny Jack, and you've, you've gone through all of those seasons, um, you know, but, you know, from an outsider, it, it was really interesting listening because I was always looking in from the outside, obviously. But when you just look at what Kenny Jagger did on paper, you know, he took over a team that had just come up, you know, you know, threatened with the playoffs that first season. Then he was straight in there getting into the playoffs. And you just thought, and then you looked, he's got a 50% win rate better than the likes of Paul Cook, who took you up from, from League Two. And from an outsider, you, you just think, what what was Kenny Jagger doing that was so bad? You know, that, that you know, and you know, you, like you said, he was sacked kind of in the middle of the march. I think, I mean, might be wrong. I, I thought it was after the 2 0 home defeat against us. Um, I saw he was on a run of one win in seven at the time. You said the kind of wheels came off. Um, but you were still only seventh and two points outside the playoffs at, at the time. So it was still a big risk to, to get rid of Kenny Jacket because he had consistently getting you into those kind of playoff positions. I think a lot of fans of other teams in League One have said that to, to us a lot. Um, mm. Experts around, uh, football league experts as well, um, looking at some of the advanced statistics for Portsmouth as well as the table and the form. And yes, it was a sort of thing where, where Portsmouth, they won ugly, ugly a lot, which was is, is a good trait sometimes to have. And also they dispatched, most of the time dispatched teams that were low down the league pretty comfortably. Mm. The problem was with the tactical system we had of mainly going very direct, very structured defensively, not pressing as much. I mentioned they changed the tactics in November to a 4-4-2 that was more pressing. Uh, he, Kenny Jacker reverted back to his usual 4-2-3-1 mm-hmm. that was more direct and more structured. And from then, uh, a lot of fans always had that little thing at the back of their head where they thought, yeah, but what about the major games? The key games. Um, there, there, there was one game I think against Peterborough in another season where if they if they won, they could they could have gotten the playoffs or they could have been automatics, but they didn't. Um, then then playing badly in both playoff semi-finals um, and then that EFL Trophy final on top. It was just that sense that the at <laughs> the most pivotal moment that the side would fall off that it would that it would just keel over and it did eventually, but. By the means of things, and if you watch Pompey Weekend and Reek Out, you could tell some uh, some of the little details that you simply wouldn't get um, otherwise by um, you know not watching them. It was probably the same reason why many people thought that Phil Parkinson probably was doing a fairly reasonable job at Sunderland. But if you were watching them every week, you could tell that it <laughs> that it wasn't as rosy as many people thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could reel off all the managers that Sunderland have uh, those sort of debates with the rest of the country with, uh, mm. you know Parkinson, Steve Bruce, and you know the the list is uh, endless when it comes to Sunderland. But um, yeah, as he said, um, he did lose his job. It sounds like it was probably about the right time when you part a company. Uh, Danny Cowley was appointed, and it was an interesting one because um, I mean Sunderland were linked with him at, at various points in the last what, two or three years. But I mean, how how did that decision go down at the time? Because I know the Sunderland fan base were a bit split when he was linked with us. Uh, so was he the fan's choice at Portsmouth? Uh, he's, it started off as a split. Um, most people were aware of um, Danny and Nicky Cowley. They always come to pair. Hmm. Most of them remembered his Lincoln sides. And again, they were very direct as well. 
but uh, and I knew him a tiny bit from the Huddersfield side he kept up in the championship and they played a bit nicer football but when I and other fans looked into Danny Cowley's the Cowley's record mm-hmm. and and approach to the game philosophies there was a coach's voice um youtube clip of him talking about tactical things like wide triangles on the side and how he, how he wants his teams to press and find space themselves then the ball got rolling a bit where fans were more positive but then we had um the runner of the stacy west blog from lincoln city who, who knew danny cowley better than anybody we had him on and he, he gave he painted an even brighter picture then we had Danny Cowley himself on our podcast, on the PO forecast. And from there, when we asked him so many questions about how he wanted to play, how he would use certain players, what his general approach to be, what would his approach to the academy be, then most of the fans were behind him, rightly so. And um, you could tell from his post, post-match interviews if you're, and his pre-matches, whenever you, whenever you watch him, he gets sports for football club. And you could tell that from the moment he stepped through the door. And it was a hard challenge when he came in because obviously Portsmouth were in a complete downward spiral when Kane Jacket left. And basically he was given the task to, uh, it was only a short-term contract until the end of the season. It was like a show me, show this club um, your tactical approach and how you're going to go about things. And Pompey almost made it into the playoffs. Again, didn't play very well in the last game against Accrington. Again, another pivotal game where the Blues didn't play very well. But the vast majority of the fans, I think, and I say vast majority, like 90, 98, 99% fully back Danny Cowley. And, and we know under this board as well, they're not trigger happy with managers. Mm. They gave Kenny Jacket four years when there was a bit of debate, let's say at the end of the second going into the third year. So he will get time. And with the huge rotation in the squad, he will get some certain investment as well. So with all those things put on top, but the fans are 100% behind a new manager all day. And yeah, I would say that most of the problems are, are, are teething problems in a transitional season, as, as hard as it is to say that sometimes. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned kind of what happened in that, that remainder of the season, because when he, when he first came in, you went on a, on a really, you know, went on a fantastic run. And I was looking with eight games left, you were fourth, um, you know, and on that run and almost looking for, almost the automatics. I think you were kind of eight points behind the automatics or something, but on that fantastic run, um, he fell away and finished eighth. I mean, how much frustration was there at that kind of falling away, finishing eighth in the end outside the playoffs? And it sounds like from what you said, people kind of looked at it as Danny Cowley having a free hit at it rather than any frustration directed at, at the manager. Yeah, at that point, most of the frustration was directed at the players. Um because that Accrington game was completely different to Danny Cowley's first game against Ipswich, against a Paul Cook, especially against a Paul Cook side where we knew where they were going to play, that they're very possession heavy and they're looking to play nice football. Ports were just, uh, I think, as, as simple as it is to say, Ports were bottled that game. <laughs> they definitely did. Uh, most of the players on the pitch did as well. And it was beyond frustrating at the time because of, because of what, uh, what you thought might have been. Because obviously... Well, the playoffs is a lottery, isn't it? Sometimes, even even if you're even if you're not favoured to get out of them at all, if Pompey won that game and the other results went their way, they could have snuck into the playoffs when people thought that wasn't even a question that that would happen. Even under Kane Jacket, we're in we're in those spots in the first place yeah. because the assumption was that that Pompey would drop away and finish eighth anyway, and it was quite it was very ironic that Pompey finished eighth that season, the same position as they were 
in their first season under Kane Jacket. So that for many people that was the full story but closed and um after the uh, initial sadness of that game people were just looking forward to the summer um something different because you knew there was going to be a big turnover in players and obviously with a new manager it comes a bit of excitement because it's all new and yeah many people saw it just as a free hit for Danny and Nicky Cowley that one yeah it's funny again it sounds really similar to to Lee Johnson coming in last season having a free hit, hit at it with the tools that he had at his disposal and and, and having a go at it and uh, I don't think there'll be many Sunderland fans disagree with you on the fact that uh, the, the playoffs is a lottery and we're pretty sick of them as well Think of a few more words we could think of the playoffs as well, but uh, I'll not, not mention those now. So um, on to this summer, um, you mentioned it briefly there, but I was looking at the business that uh, Portsmouth got done during the summer. And I'm a bit intrigued um, looking at the list of players, again, looking at it from a from a kind of Sunderland point of view. At Sunderland, there's been a big sea change where um, the focus this year has been on younger players with a lot of potential, which has been completely different from bringing in the Danny Grahams of the world, which we've done in past seasons, which, you know, all, all those type of players. Um, and um, in my mind, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, that sounds like that's up Danny Cowley Street, you know, with maybe planning long term that way. But I was looking at the list of players and it looks like a lot of experienced players from either the Championship or League One, you know, where I'm looking down the ages of them, um, you know, Shane Williams, 34, um, Robertson twenty seven, uh, Freeman twenty nine, yeah, Tunner Cliff twenty eight. Um, so it, it seems like there's all those players of about that age. Um, I mean, has there been a clear philosophy on on how they're going to do things? Um, I would say so. Um, I talked about the turnover earlier, hmm. and it was a major turnover of senior players. The captain Tom Naylor left. Um, Pompey's best centre half, in my opinion, at the time. Jack Watmore also left. Um, Ben Close, uh, very good central midfielder from the academy, um, more like a deep line playmaker. He went as well. Craig McGilvery, first choice goalkeeper left. Um, if I had to sum it up, the reason why that I think they all left, basically Portsmouth offered them low, uh, contracts with lower wages than they were on previously. Mm-hmm. And I think the main reason why was the board or the manager, maybe, and this is, this is conjecture, they looked at it and thought, why would we give players who in the major games in the playoffs haven't shown up? Mm-hmm. Why would we give them wages and uh, uh, wage rises and extra, let's say extra years on their contracts? Even though even though some of them, some of them were good players, Jack Watmore especially. But it, it, again, I think it was just uh, they wanted to change the culture. I think into I would say a winning culture, but also um, a more drilled culture. I think which is why so many. Championship players came in. Sean Williams, Ryan Tunnicliffe, um, both from uh, both played for each other at Millwall, both experienced, both, both have uh, several championship games between them. Mm-hmm. So, so, so they know how so they basically know how, how to play into that division if Portsmouth could Portsmouth get into it. Kieran Priedman, even though he hadn't played many games the last few seasons of Sheffield United because of injury, he was part of the Sheffield United squad that got promoted to League One and then from the championship into the Premier League. Again, it's that been there and done that mentality yeah. and if you add on some of the extra signings who are younger um george hurst and gaston ahadmi um on loan to uh, for debt pieces there, there, there was a proper mix of wanting to find experienced players who who had been there and done that to add to some of the talented players that were left over mainly harness and curtis for me but then also 
add in that championship experience. I think the biggest signing, I think on paper, is Joe Morrell, Wales international. Um, in the three at the back formation, which Danny Cowley's tried, it suits him down to the ground all day long. A proper, a co- him and Tony Cliff, a proper combination of a deep line playmaker and a box to box midfielder. So you've got the one who goes up and down a lot, but also the other centre midfielder who always looks to pass but isn't afraid to get stuck in himself. And I think what one signing I haven't mentioned who has been excellent over his last two games, Marlon Romeo on loan from Millwall. Um, excellent player. Um, he'll play at right wing back, um, covers the right-hand side easily, defensively and going forward, not afraid to have a shot, not afraid to challenge a player in a dribble. And again, vastly experienced at Millwall in the championship. So yeah, it, it, the transfer policy was, even though Pompey missed out on a, on a fair few targets, it was to bring in the right blend of um, experience at a high level while also adding in some younger players on top, in the middle. So it was a real mixed approach rather than having a set philosophy, I think. Yeah. And I think they had to do that considering the big turnover anyway. Well, well yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. I was just about to touch on that because you've talked about, you know, all of these all of these players who big, played big parts, you know, last season or, you know, even even going beyond last season uh, for, for a good while for the club. Uh, and most of them left for either rival League One clubs or moved up to the to the championship. So I mean, while the club were doing this, did is it something people were expecting, or was there a kind of a big shock in the summer when all these players started to leave, kind of one by one? There was just, there was a shock for a few. Uh, Craig McGilvery being the big one because um, he was the he was player of the season last season. I thought he was excellent as a keeper analytically in terms of xG, prevented a lot of goals, um, proper shot stopper. He he was let go because Danny Cowley wanted a goalkeeper who could play out from the back a lot better. And we've got one, I think, when we brought in Gavin Bazunu, Ireland international from Manchester City. He's been our uh, overall our best player, I would say. Because in the short term, the free the, it just the philosophy of um pressing from the front but also playing at the back, I don't think would have worked with Craig McGilvery as much as I liked him as a keeper. So that change was a shock, but it was a shock for a reason. That, that you could see where the manager was going. Um, some other players weren't as much of a shock. Tom Nather, for example, even though he was the captain, excellent centre. He was very, very good league one set defensive midfielder, in my opinion. People um, looked at his deficiencies a lot, um, mainly going forward, mainly, pass, mainly certain forward passing in certain areas. And I think people wanted a change where at first they were shocked, but then got used to the idea when... Um, more transfers came in because it wasn't all at one go. They were drip thread through the entire window due to various reasons. But as the team took shape slowly, most fans were behind it. it we, we were talking earlier about that new feeling, that new Portsmouth side, and it kind of had to happen given that um, this is the fit. This is Pompey's fifth season in the third tier of English football, which I think is a joint record. If they don't get promoted this season, it would be a sixth, which which has never happened. So, so I think the the side, even though it was a major change, I think they needed it, and most fans backed it, in my opinion. Even though there were some shocks for me, yeah. And you've mentioned um, in that a couple of the loan signings, uh, the goalkeeper from Manchester City, you said is, is flying Romeo from Millwall. You've got um, I saw Miguel Aziz. I think is that I don't know whether I said that right, but. Uh, Highly regarded. Yeah, I was going to say it because there's a bit. I saw the. I was reading the write up. There's a bit of excitement around him. He played. He played in one game, but again, Danny Cowley 
with younger players. He doesn't like throwing them in when they're not ready. Yeah. When he feels like they're not ready, um, Gasson had me was the same. Where where basically he he thinks that he he will play them when he feels like they're fully matured and focused for the rigor of league one football. Because obviously it's, it, it it doesn't matter how talented those players are as footballers, it's an entirely different beast than under twenty three football. Yeah. Yeah, and I noticed um, I had me from Norwich, another striker, and George Hurst. So, have any of those loan players, the, those loan signings, have any of those impressed so far? Mm, less so. Um, that's where Pompey's one of Pompey's biggest weaknesses are has been up front in the in the proper striker role. Um, Marquis missed two major chances um, in the last game against Charlton, but overall had a good game because of his link up with Harness and Curtis. Harrison as a target man scored a hat trick in the EFL Trophy, but for me didn't impress against Cambridge United. And he's more of a traditional target man striker. He doesn't move off the ball as well. Gassan scored I think, eight goals in preseason, so a lot of people were very bullish on him coming in. But so far, it's pretty, it, it, the step up's proven to be a tiny bit much. He's very good in and around the penalty area. I think when he latches onto the last defender, he's really good. But outside the box, well, Cowley mentioned this in a few interviews in the newspaper that had been needs to work on his um his movement away from the penalty area and just his overall game sense. And George Hurst, I don't think has played enough to for me to have a full comment on him. Again, more of a more of a target man, but a bit more mobile, likes to get involved in the play a fair bit, can play behind a number nine, but he hasn't played enough for me to properly comment on his performance. I think striker wise, presumably Marcus will start against Sunderland. Mm. Presumably. And they're, they're only young as well, so they'll need a few games to really kind of see, yes, exactly. see, see where exactly. they're at. But, um, but you've said, I mean, you've said a few times that it feels new, it feels fresh. Um, but what's the general consensus on, on the business? I mean, do people feel like it's a stronger squad they've got this season? I think they would think, they think it's a different squad. There are, many people think there are, there are certain holes missing, hmm. especially if we assume that Danny Cowley is playing with the 3 5 2. The main two positions for me that are missing are the right-sided centre-half um, and many people aren't bullish on John Marcus as centre-forward anymore, mainly for... He, he's had a fair... Even though the XG-wise, um, it's not as bad as many people think. I think it was like 1.95 in the league and he scored one goal. But he has missed some key chances and then there's the conjecture of, oh, if he scored those, then Portsmouth wouldn't have dropped points, etc., etc. But I also think that right, right side of centre half, since Clark Robertson, who was a new signing, he got injured. He was playing at left side of centre half next to Sean Bracket. He was very good, very good player. Um, since he's gone down, we had to play Kieran, Kieran Freeman, who I who can play right side of centre half, but not really playing him in the free. But with Sean Williams playing on the left hand side centre half because Connor Ogilvie from Julingham was also injured. And then obviously, if you're playing a centre midfielder as one of your main centre halves and swapping the defensive line so much, there was going to be mistakes and gaps, and that's cost Portsmouth in a fair few games so far since they've changed to it, that formation. So, yeah, uh, mo- most fans think there needs um, there needs to be a bit, tiny bit more support in January, um, depending, and then looking forward, to next, uh, looking forward to the next summer where there might be even more change to the squad than there already, already has been. So as, as like I said, it's a a strange season where since it's Portsmouth, the expectation, the aim is promotion, like it always is. 
like, like whenever Sunderland are in League One, obviously yeah. the aims promotion every time. But there is that there is that sense of they might need another season to figure things out. Yeah, so so just building off that, I mean, we, we talked about you know the amount of change to the squad. It's a new manager with his first full season. You've talked about you know <laughs> that people still expect Portsmouth to be up there, but where where are Portsmouth fans' heads? Or or let let's go back to maybe before a ball was kicked to start with. You know that you've had all this business. You know first day of the season, where were Portsmouth fans at? You know before a ball was kicked with it. Was it just automatically where Portsmouth it's got to be top six, or was it, you know, look at everything that's happening, it could be it could be one of those seasons where we we just bob about and you know keep developing. Before a ball was kicked, um, many people's perceptions are different because uh, Pompey's transfer business wasn't done mm. by the first game of the season against Fleetwood. Portsmouth only had two centre midfielders, two legit centre midfielders. So mo- people who were just thinking, okay let's say something horrible happens and nothing else changes in the transfer window. Looking at a squad now, it's not near playoffs because the depth isn't there. After a few more games when more signings came in, I would say most opinions on where Portsmouth would finish range from about fifth to ninth, I would say, where if they get in the playoffs, it'll be at the lower end of the playoffs, but Portsmouth will, unless uh, unless they drop off for various reasons or if injuries are really bad, they will be in and around the playoff fight rather than being in it all the all the time. Because looking at some of the other teams, some of the other teams who are up there are a bit more settled. Some of the other teams are spending more money than Port so far. It's capturing too. Wig, Wigan's turnover is very high and they're top of the table, but so was Ipswich's, <laughs> and they're nowhere near us at all. So it's very, it's very strange. But yeah, overall, most people think probably between fifth and ninth where. Playoffs and promotion could be a possibility if things go right, but I think the majority, yeah, or it could go wrong and we'll finish around seventh, eighth, ninth again, and it will need another summer. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the business wasn't done uh, before ball was kicked, but you went on to win the first three games of the season. Uh, Fleetwood away, then Crew and Shrewsbury at home, but Portsmouth haven't won in the last six after those first three games, so. So what happened? Did something change? Or because I noticed those scores were quite close as well. So um, I mean, did did anything change, or is it just not getting the rubber rubber the green or something like that? Um, to start uh, to start with, I could tell that Pompey were very, were very good defensively, even though the squad wasn't done yet. The lack for, the lack of depth at centre midfield was concern, but also just the fact the front three weren't really playing as well, even though we were getting the results. As you can see, the crew game was excellent. That that one that was one of Pompey's most complete performances where they won the game. I think uh, Fleetwood a very scrappy away game where where they could have lost. Shrewsbury was a bit tighter, but Pompey still deserved it. I think for a mixture for a mixture of reasons. Um, Danny Calder was playing an older formation. Um, he was playing a four two three one, and then various times a four three three because as the newer players came in, he wanted to try them. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of change around information, a lot of change in personnel, which most of the fans didn't mind because any manager has to figure out their best team, don't they? Yeah. I think the Wigan game was a big one where Portsmouth played a 4-3-3, obviously being away from home, they wanted to solidify possession. So they played Joe Morrell, Sean Williams and Ryan Tunnicliffe in a three, where Ryan Tunnicliffe was more of a box-to-box. He was given a slightly more advanced role going forward, which he's not used to. And overall, it, 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 defensively, they were completely solid throughout the game. and. They got punished for their one mistake. But going forward, they didn't create a lot. And that's been 
the biggest Achilles heel so far. Not in the way that they're approaching the game, because most people agree with how we've done it with the Cowleys' approach to football, where they're playing out from the back and trying to look for through, uh, trying to look for gaps by switching the play or through killer through balls. But it just hasn't been. It just the, the it was either the final balls off or when the attacker runs onto the ball, the other dwells on it too long or shoots it into a crowd of defenders. That's been the biggest issue, I think. So when the attacking interest dropped and all the changes happened as well, that's where the uh, the results have dried up. But I've been talking to some fans. Some fans think it isn't great at all because Pompey haven't won in a, over a month. Mm. But some fans think, look, we're seeing, we're seeing the little the little signs of where this team could be if they cut out individual error if the side cut out individual errors and that type of thing they could be up there soon and most people think with all the changes free free wins free draws and free defeats isn't that bad it's in line with a lot of the other teams as well but there have been so many games where Pompey could have could have won could have won more games than they have but um got punished for their mistakes unfortunately yeah well like like we were saying earlier the the division is a bit ridiculous at the moment with all those teams bunched up on on 12 points in mid-table, I think, uh, I can't remember, I think I'm sure there's like eight teams on, on eight points or something like that. But, um, but uh, I mean, like you said, six games without a result though, and we've talked about all of this change, you've talked about how fans are, you know, maybe giving them a bit of, oh, well, you know, it's it given a bit of grace period and things like that. But, I mean, at some point with a team like Portsmouth, where, you know, even if people understand he's building for the future, there's still pressure to deliver results quickly. So is there a chance that a couple more results or the run extends a bit longer and, you know, people actually start to turn? Um, a few will. Um, like, like all fan bases, so Poppy fans sometimes love a moan, me included. <laughs> so that, 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 can, that can always change where some fans think it's completely ridiculous and, and then he's changing things immediately. As, lo- as long as there's a sign of potential improvement, I don't think it would be there, but the a lot of the pressure has more been on the players and the manager, especially some of the players who have been uh, who were in some of the new transfers as well, but also the players who have been here longer. But uh, of course, there's pressure is, but it's Pompey in League One, and the aim's always promotion, like I said, and it will get uh, and it will get more intense as those bad results come on, like the Fratton Park game against Cambridge, where we did play very well at all, deserved to lose the game. Fans were chanting, "This is embarrassing!" on the seventy fifth minute. Then the players woke up again and played a bit better, but it was too late in the game anyway. We one boot two down. There will be uh, that's a perfect example. There will be that edge if it doesn't go very well, but it, and patience will run thin if the poor form continues for an extended period of time. And when I mean extended, I mean another month, month and a bit, I think. But there, but most people want Danny Cowley and Nicky Cowley and their vision to work so much that there will be more support of them short term I think yeah well <laughs> I was just about to say actually I mean we could be talking like this and then the the, the midweek game against Burton it could be all change and you know everything's on the up but uh, but that's uh, that how football works I suppose but uh, Saturday's game um, last season was odd really in that uh, you know Portsmouth took Sunderland apart at the Stadium of Light um, just absolutely dismantled us <laughs> the Stadium of Light in October, uh, fully. Uh, but uh, but we were fully deserving uh, at your place, getting all three points in March. Fratton Park's always been a tough place to go for us. I, I was looking earlier on at the record; we've won twelve out of fifty-six games at Fratton Park. And actually, before last season, 
Uh, we hadn't won on the South Coast since 1997. So there you go. That was a that was a decent run of games without a win there. But uh, but like we said, in the last two fixtures, um, you've been beaten by Cambridge and drew against Plymouth, and you, you've mentioned those. You, you've said that the potential's there, one or two disgruntled voices there at the minority at the moment. But are you feeling a little vulnerable at home at the minute? I think that most people aren't really thinking much about home and away, I don't think. Mm. I think they're mainly taking it game by game because the performances changed wildly from one game to the next, regardless of what, of what pitch they're playing on. Cambridge and Plymouth was the biggest example. Cambridge did a, against Cambridge, they deserved nothing out of that game. But against Plymouth, overall, they performed so well going forward with the free at the back formation and then going from there i thought i thought if they if they got the win it was well deserved but they were it was two major defensive errors that led, that led plymouth in where ryan hardy i think got a brace but he deserved that brace um for being in the right position but ports have fought back the entire time the players didn't give up there were tackles flying in and it and they got the last bit equalizer yes from the defenders so it wasn't a striker scoring again but like I said, there was a, there were signs of improvement there, and they're still fighting this squad, which Pompey fans always like. They'll always back a team that tries a hundred percent every single game, whereas many people thought in the Cambridge game that they didn't until the seventy fifth minute. I was um, reminiscing about our win back in nineteen ninety seven for a second there. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, the year I was born. <laughs> really? Oh, don't yeah. don't because I, I was. I was at that game in '97, and I think it was Nicky Summerby's Nicky Summerby's debut. I think, and he scored the fourth. I think, but uh, <laughs> that was the year you were born, right? Brilliant. That's really made us feel better. Thanks for that, Freddie. I think. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think I've got older emails than you, Freddie. But uh, but there you go. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, again, going back to recent encounters, um, they've always been pretty rough games, really physical games between the, the two sides. You know, sending off here and there, or you know, the odd tussle involving. You know, players and and fans on on you know <laughs> on the odd occasion, mm-hmm. um, but with Danny Cowley in charge, should Sunderland fans be going to the game? Or do we expect to see a different Portsmouth side, different approach? Um, there'll still be a physical edge to the game because all the players brought in, they, they they all still get stuck in enough. It's it's well, I won't, I won't go as far as to say they're physical as some of the other sides in League One, but they're still a physical. They're still a physical side enough where they where they're not pushovers on the ball. But what would you what you'd expect from Portsmouth this time is playing out playing out for the back for number one. Um Bizzunu very mobile, often goes out of his penalty area a lot. Um they like to play, like I said, the wide triangles. If the movement off the ball is good from Pompey, then they'll let's keep it on the floor to start with, then move to the wide areas. They're not afraid of crossing, but hopefully it's it's actually crossing with a purpose rather than a bit aimless like it was. And they'll look to try and create gaps in the Sunderland back line through switching the play and play and, and genuinely playing the ball as quickly as possible. That's what Portsmouth will try to do. And they're very aggressive in the press off the ball. That's the big thing. I think um, analytically Portsmouth one of the one of the most aggressive pressing teams off the ball in the league so far. I think they're third highest. So, and, that, and that's definitely a major thing. And that and, and if you think back to the Poppy game at the Stadium of Light, where they played very well, that's what Pompey did. Mm-hmm. They got on top of Sunderland very quickly yeah. and and cause mistakes and if Pompey do the same thing at Fratton Park they might be able to get a result out of the game it, it, it just depends if they're, if, um, they're defensively strong enough and the individual errors aren't there Yeah I remember that f- the first goal in that game you won the 
won the press really high up and you scored that first goal early on. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I think you've mentioned it a couple of times actually. But I, you know, you joined top scorers Harness, Brown, Curtis on two. Uh, Sunderland have got three players who've scored more than two. So mm. is it is that where the major problem is this season? Has that been kind of just get scoring goals? Yeah, at the mo- at the moment it's scoring goals. Um... Defensively, defensively, the side were very good um, for a while, but then the individual errors crept in, which it always does. Mm. So that's where Portsmouth have conceded their goals from. It's a lot of working progress. It's a lot of the final ball being an inch the wrong way or one bad touch here and there. I think the overall, most people agree with the overall philosophy. It's just the execution of it. Mm. And that's the big, and that's been the big reason why Pompey haven't won many games they should have done. Yeah, again, we've we've talked about fans' expectations. Fratton Park being, I mean, like in my experience, Fratton Park's always been a tough place to go. Um, Portsmouth have always seemed to be good at Fratton Park. Um, but if Portsmouth fans going to be turning up on Saturday expecting the side to get a win or at least a point, or or would you say there's a bit, you know, the confidence is is pretty low at the moment considering the run you're in. Uh, they'll expect them to be competitive. I think my prediction will be a draw. I think it'll be a very, very tight game still. But it, it, bearing in mind, it, it, it might just be a luck thing where something might have to break for Portsmouth at some point. You, can, you, you can't. <laughs> but the Blues shouldn't go another month without winning a game. It's not that bad. Mm. It's just that I do think something needs to break for them in mm-hmm. terms of results. Yeah. And you obviously you've got Curtis and Marcus is still there. You've mentioned those guys and you know some of the lone players you've mentioned. But... Uh... Who's going to be the main danger that Lee Johnson and his side are going to be kind of looking out for on Saturday? Ooh, tough one. I'm going to mention two players, both wide players. I mentioned Romeo earlier. He's put it. He's been excellent on that right hand side, and has linked up with um, Marcus Arnis, who's playing slightly behind the two strikers, Curtis and Marcus. Um, Romeo's very. Romeo's been linking with most of the side very well. So that right hand side is genuinely better. Genuinely better in terms of quality. But on the left-hand side, you have Ronan Curtis, who played in, played out of his skin against Charlton, um, put in a great through ball for John Marcus's flick on to Harness, who was in the middle of the penalty area for a probably second goal against Charlton. When Curtis gets the bit between his teeth, he plays exceptionally well. Bit of a streaky player, but, but when he's fully on, he's on. So I think he'll definitely be a danger man on there. And he's got Lee Brown at left wing back, who and that and that partnership has always been good with overlapping runs and knowing where they are and so on. So I think those two, those two are the key attacking changes um, for Sunderland to look out for. Pompey will hopefully have a steady midfield and hopefully Conor Ogilvy will be fit again and will play left-sided centre-half. So defensively, they'll be a bit better as well. It's interesting that because you're saying you're strong down down your right um, and um, we've been really strong down our left with Sirkin who were brought in from from Spurs. But um, he went off with concussion at the weekend, so he's going to be out of the midweek game. And there's probably a little question mark over them with uh, the weekend. So it'll be interesting to see if Sirkin makes it back for that. But uh, but you've said you fancy a draw for the game on Saturday. Um, so I don't need to ask you a prediction for, for the game. But what I'd like to do is ask um, your prediction on whether or not we're going to see Portsmouth in, in a top six finish come May. <laughs> I'm gonna get pelters for saying this <laughs> because it, because like I said, it, it could it it could go either way. It, it, if things go right, Pompey could end up in the playoffs. And also, I said on the podcast, a range position. I literally ducked out of that question where I said, <laughs> "Oh, they could finish between six and eight, and it covers both." I'm just looking um, for a yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I think I still think the squad needs a little bit more to get into the playoffs. I think I'm I, I'm not fully convinced I'll make it. So I'll go for a no for now, and hopefully I'm wrong. <laughs> and uh, and I thoroughly hope I'm wrong by the time the end of the season rolls around. Wow, heard it here first. Portsmouth expert says... I'm going to get absolutely <laughs> pilloried for that, honestly. <laughs> says they're not making the playoffs. Brilliant. But uh, um, I assume you're going to the game. You're going to be there on Saturday? Uh, yeah, yeah. If I, if I can get a ticket for the game. Yeah, I haven't got a season ticket since I just moved down. Mm. But I'm sure there'll be one left. Yeah. It's going to be one of those, isn't it, where, you know, the you, it's one of those games where we um, we missed last season. You know, it's one of the, like, the big games in League One where we couldn't get along to and... Uh, I think the fans are going to be up for it on Saturday. Oh, absolutely. Both, both sides will be. Um, both fan bases all, always set a wicked atmosphere wherever they go. So th- there won't be any shortage of that on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, it, it always seems to be a good clash when, when we meet up. So let's hope it's another entertaining one in front of the fans, which is which is always good to see again, at least when the fans being there. Um, especially Fratton Park, because uh, it's a, I, I always considered Fratton Park to be a proper proper football ground apart from you know apart from the journey and usually the result it's a good place to to, to watch football but uh, but on that note i just wanted to say thank you very much freddie uh, really enjoyed the chance to catch up and all the best for the season ed thanks very much same to you good stuff cheers freddie and uh, thanks again for listening everyone uh keep a look out at report for all the build-up ahead of the game against portsmouth at the weekend on saturday uh, and keep an eye out in all the usual places for the next pod that should be dropping very soon Uh, but from us it's bye for now planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.